Welcome to Hacking the Hustle. This is your host, Benjamin Sklar, and I'm very excited to have my special guest, Landon Ainge. How are you doing, Landon? Doing fantastic. Well, I appreciate you hopping on the show today. Yeah, I'm glad to, glad to be here. For those listening, a little background on Landon. Landon is the Managing Director of Assure Syndicates, which is the largest administrator of SPVs in the United States. And I follow. I followed him for over a year now. I met him on Upstream, and he seems like he's really well liked and well loved by his community and the VC ecosystem. So I'm honored and excited to have Landon on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I, I I will clarify. So I work for Assure, who is the largest SPV administrator in the country. So a lot anybody that's a syndicator, um, Jason Calcanis, others they use Assure to set up their SPV. So feel free to reach out on that perspective. Uh, For Assure syndicates, and what I'm doing is trying to, I work for Assure and I convince them to build this division to help the venture ecosystem. So I help angels get access to invest in deals where they have expertise or interest or passion. And I help founders connect with VCs um, basically for free if I'm willing to invest in them or bring angels into that deal. Mm-hmm. So I just want to clarify the differentiation. I do wear two hats in the sense that I work for Assure, but I'm also the only, you know, person at Assure doing investments and, or I shouldn't say only person, only division at Assure doing investments along with my team members. Got it. Thanks for clarifying. And for yeah. those who don't know what an SPV is, can you please give yeah. us a breakdown? Yeah. So an SPV is a special purpose vehicle. Um, Special purpose vehicles in their history have been used for lots of different things. Um, sometimes it was to mitigate risk for publicly traded companies. Sometimes it was to do different things. And what they're known for today is typically just taking a bunch of investors and shoving them into a fund, but doing so on a deal by deal basis. So rather than raising a fund of $20 million, you're saying, hey, I've got a million dollar allocation to this deal. Let me bring in individual LPs from that they can put in flexible amounts. Um, and so that's what an SPV is. So a sure and angel list actually partner to kind of create the infrastructure and work with the SEC to make these things possible. And so now that's why you're hearing and seeing SPVs um, become more prevalent in the ecosystem. Got it. And an SPV is at the end of the day, an LLC. At the end of the day, it's a fund. Or you're an creating, LP. Yeah, you're creating a fund. Now, some structures could be a mass there's de- different structures. I don't want to get too technical, but some could be a master series LLC because they're more affordable, um, but they are treated as if there's a fund operating agreement, a PPM subscription agreement, um, much like you would be raising for a fund. Got it. Okay. So let's backtrack and talk a little bit about you personally and how you got into this. Why did you leave Goldman Sachs and your other jobs to go into this world? Yeah, I will go really fast because I took a, you know, detouring route like most entrepreneurs in this structure and I went and did M&A. So I went backwards. So I was doing big transactions, acquiring companies um, for a privately held company and they were looking to diversify. And I joined Overstock after that and I ran their mobile commerce arm. And that was amazing. I had the chance to launch augmented reality into the mobile app experience manage that division to iOS and Android teams. Um, I ended up leaving joining a venture fund 
because I didn't understand the risk tolerance associated with venture. I think it's really important for my journey just to say like, I really didn't get venture. I didn't think as someone who did M&A buying cash flowing businesses, I didn't understand the risk tolerance associated with it. Um, and that was key to me. So I joined a fund to understand it better because I knew how to do diligence. I knew how to financially model. I knew how to evaluate growing industries, but I didn't understand that nuance. Um, I must've gotten comfortable because I ended up joining a startup as a co-founder, like less than a year after joining the fund. Um, and that went great. Um, got our company to, you know, we were doing $4 million of revenue ARR in over, uh, in under 14 months, uh, which was crazy. And I realized in working with my co-founder that we were working together, but my job was really about um, creating the process, creating the fundraising, running the go-to-market strategy. And that was an amazing experience. But I realized that I wanted to do that more frequently. And going from zero to one was not necessarily, I didn't want to keep doing that over and over again. And so I wanted to create a model to support founders. And I found some inefficiencies. I was spending all of my nights and weekends talking to founders about how to fundraise because I'd been on the VC side and the founder side and balancing those two perspectives. And so what I did is created a model. I thought about raising the fund. I thought about doing an accelerator, thought about these unique models. And I came to the conclusion that I needed to find a, a neutral third party that wanted to help the ecosystem and facilitate these things. And that was Assure. Assure was using these special purpose vehicles to consolidate investors. And I realized that the only way to truly align myself with the founders to invest in them. And so I said, well, why don't I use my knowledge, due diligence, bring them to the right investors. And so I became a matchmaker, an unpaid broker in the space. Um, so I help matchmake founders and VCs, but only if I'm willing to invest in them um, or if I'm willing to try to bring my angels into those deals. It's a win for the founders. It's a win for the VCs because they get someone that brings a deal that they that thinks they should invest. And I'm putting my money where my mouth is by investing. And my angels, anybody that's an accredited investor, family office angel, can invest. They just need to tell me what they're interested in. And I will find them a deal that has a VC lead that they get access to with no management fees. And usually 10% carry, sometimes 15 if it's a late stage deal. So win-win-win-win-win, mm -hmm. which five parties are happy, I, I believe, you know, it's working so far. There's a lot of unpaid brokers in the market. I used to be one of them, of people who are connectors, but it seems like you've done a good job of putting a company behind it, an, an actual infrastructure behind being a middleman between VCs and founders. I feel like most of the people who are going to listen to this podcast, besides my normal audience are people who are going to see the SPV buzzword and listen to it because they're either trying to set up an SPV. Yep. They, they have something going on in their life regarding SPVs. So let's start from the founder angle. Why should a founder be interested in SPVs? What do they need to know? Landon? Yeah. I think you need to know is that your job as the founder is to be intentional about your funders, right? That's to try and figure out who are the right people to take capital from, um, and that could be fund, individual, or both. Um, oftentimes, uh, it makes sense to be both. I, I oftentimes talk about the intentionality of fundraising, and I recommend that founders usually reserve part of the round for strategic individuals. What better way to align yourself um, with people that are amazing 
then bringing people that are from your industry, potential customers or, or existing customers that supported you early on. Um, if you truly believe in what you're doing, you are giving them the opportunity to participate in the upside. And at the same time, giving yourselves alternative perspectives. Um, but the reason I say reserving it and using it, that SPV function is because you don't wanna ruin your ownership structure. You don't wanna take a bunch of these smaller checks. You don't wanna have a process. Typically, it, it's helpful to run a process to bring all these individuals into a single line item on the cap table known you, you can use an SPV. So sometimes I will help a founder consolidate their angels with no carry. And that's a way to facilitate that process. Um, and sometimes I'm bringing my angels into the deal because they're like, hey, can you find me strategic angels that look like X, Y, and Z? I have this fund, but I want to reserve 150K for these type of individuals. I don't really care about their check size. This is just what I'm looking for. Um, or it's a hybrid where they have some angels and I'm bringing some angels and you know, I'm charging my angels carry and there's, they don't get it. So that was really complex, but basically just saying, let's get, let's get you basically build your, an advisory board through the people that invest in you. Um, and if they believe in you and they've already said, I'm putting money to show I believe in you, they're gonna pick up the phone when you need it. Um, sometimes there's negative consequences to having individuals directly invest because they feel like they're, you know, they merit being involved and that SPV allows the balance. So the founder knows that they're investors and they want them to win, um, but that the founder can be the one to initiate the conversation when they want to, and the investor can be there to help and support. Got it. All right, so switch it to the investor side. Why should investors go through an SPV? What do they need to know? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you should go through an SPV because there's, there's probably three reasons. One, you trust somebody. Um, most of the people that invest with me um, have developed trust that I'm going to be honest. Um, what's unique to my model is you get the chance to invest right alongside a VC. So I don't really kind of care if you trust me. Like <laughs> that's the honest truth. It's like, hey, well, I've already gotten the stamp of approval from the market. The market said this is a good deal. The market said this is the right price. So if you would like to participate, I would love to give you that option. Um, so that's one thing. Um, trust is important. Two is time. You know, people that want to do direct investments get hit up endlessly. And, and if you say you're an angel investor, you get contacted. Being able to sift through that is really a full-time job. There's a reason why venture funds charge 2% management fees for what they do. It's because it takes so much time. Um, luckily for me, I don't have to do that with my LPs. And so they will often send me the deal and have me qualify it, just saying, hey, can you make sure I get into this deal? Or my check size isn't big enough to get into this deal. Could you go help the founder? I want to invest, but I'm only going to get a $10,000 check, right? That's not going to get me into a deal where they're raising $3 million. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's for individuals. For family offices, well, as an in investor, you like it because you're getting to keep more of the upside and you're having flexibility of, I really like this one. I really don't actually, I want to put more into this one because I like it more versus less into this one. You're getting qualified opportunities. And so that's kind of why my pitch to LPs is you basically built, get the create your own fund model and keeping more of the upside. That's how I would describe it. I'm going to, you know, coin that phrase, create your own fund 
that's that's what you get through syndication. That's really interesting. What are the similarities you see between real estate syndicators, people pooling money for multifamily, and startup syndicators? What's the same? What's the thread that runs between the two? People that like to be on the ground level actually doing the work, right? So the syndicators and real estate are ones finding that home. They have the, the eye to recognize value where others may not recognize it and be able to facilitate it, as well as a skill set of understanding how to bring individuals that have money to opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, the end goals are the same of getting people money back, but usually the means of doing so. For venture, it's typically invest at one point, hold, 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 sell. Whereas real estate, it's invest ideally for the cash flow mm-hmm. and also potentially the equity on the upside. Mm-hmm. And so that cash flow tends to add more complexity because of the accounting issues, tax issues, where you're constantly paying out dividends or annual dividends. Mm-hmm. Um, but Assure has solutions for real estate syndicators as well. It just tends to be that you have to be more thoughtful about taxes and accounting. Interesting. Tell me about long-term. Where is SPVs going? How is blockchain going to change the game? Yeah, good question. Um, I only see syndication growing because what it does for access, right? So this year, syndication has grown significantly. Um, There's been a number of players that have taken venture capital that are SPV or, or, you know, structuring entities. Um, We can go into a debate of whether that should be a venture capital model or not, um, which is a funny conversation. Um, I think that with, with all technology and specifically blockchain, you're going to see continued progress of trying to automate these things, um, but you do need to balance, right? One of the reasons why I would argue that the SPV administration world is not actually a super strong venture model is you've got highly regulated industries that cause breaks, IRS with taxes, uh, each state with setting up a legal entity. Um, You've got uh, the the tax structuring and documentation can be pretty complex. You've got the filings with each state and each state has blue sky fees. And then you've got national uh, filing fees or filing as well. And so each of those things bring in the government, which as we know, is not always the fastest in adopting these technologies. And so when you bring in automation and you're dealing with non-automated entities, um, it can cause some issues there. Got it. So give a, give a use case, a, an example of someone who's listening to this. They live in New York City. They work at a bank. Let's say they're, they're a, a stock trader or, or they are a hedge fund trader. And they, they're not really exposed to startups. They have friends who work in the industry and they want to get involved with SPV somehow. They want to, they think their friend startup is going to blow up and they want to raise money, set up an SPV and invest that money into their friend's company. Can you explain the actual process of how to go yeah. about doing that? Yeah. I mean, openly, if you've never been exposed to venture, it's not always the best to be the one leading the deal and getting other people's money and taking that responsibility, right? You're becoming a general partner and such, right? I treat myself exactly like a venture capital firm and my reputation is such. So I'm taking other people's money. So that's my first caveat. Um, I would recommend participating in syndications first 
so you can understand that process and the user experience and how you can how you'd like to see it and maybe invest a few in this asset class of venture first um, maybe make some mistakes with smaller checks then i would go to the next step which is all right i'm going to do an spv i'm going to go set it up so you would contact Assure, you would go um, say, hey, this is the type of SPV. There are like 300 different iterations of how you could set up an SPV, but typically it's, you know, it's a smaller SPV for your first deal. It's going to be pretty standard. You're going to be trying to keep it under 20 investors and you're going to go to their platform and say, yep, I believe that I should have management fees. Yes or no. I believe I should get carry for bringing these investors in. Yes or no. If so, how much? Um, do I get it? Do other people get any of that carry? How do I think about these things? And the important part to think about there is, will my investors be comfortable giving me part of the upside for getting them into this deal? Mm -hmm. As on how good the deal is. Right. Um, so as you do that, then Assure would start the process of setting up a legal entity, a bank account, automation of documents for you. And that would typically take, you know, the legal entity can take two days and the bank account, we can actually, we're, we're launching a new technology that can launch the bank account in under that time period. Um, typically the banks were the slowest piece of that history. And then you're trying to invite investors to it. So some of our investors have an email distribution. Some of our investors have, have in-person meetings. Some of our uh, organizers will do those, the different process. What do you want to do to drive interest and once you capture that interest, you know, distributing the pitch deck, hearing from the founder, um, creating your own video around diligence, once you get people that are interested and they say, hey, I'm in, as long as you know them and they're accredited, then they would just go into the Assure portal, create a profile for tax and KYC purposes, and then sign documents and wire the money. Now ACH is also available, so they can just ACH the money in. And then you're, once you're done collecting all of the money, we have to hold it for 24 hours. We sign the investment documents and then Assure will, once they see the signed investment documents, they'll wire the money to the company. And you now just created your first fund or SPV to invest in companies. Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but- Yeah, that was, that was very helpful. Uh, it made me think about the guy who's a shark on Shark Tank who, was a lawyer in San Francisco, got involved with Twitter, became a billionaire. Do you know his name off the top of your head? You talking about Kevin Harrington? Which one are we talking about? He he was a lawyer in San Francisco and he raised a lot of money for Twitter. And I he became a billionaire by raising money for Twitter. And I'm at, I'm curious to hear from you. Did he do that through SPVs? Is that the way he went about doing it as an outsider? Yeah, either that course of action or a broker dealer. The opposite model is broker dealers will go get money and they'll take a percentage of however much they raise. They'll just say, hey, I'm going to go raise $10 million for you, bring it into your company, but I'm going to take 5% off the top, right off the top. I'm going to take 5% of 10 million, goes in my pocket, I walk away, you never hear from me again. Mm -hmm. Investors sometimes don't like that because what value did they add? They just connected, right? Like, but they did add a lot of value to be clear. Broker dealers have the right place. Syndication is usually a different model where it's more, hey, I'm going to take a percentage carry, but I get it on the back end when the company's been successful. So I'm guessing based upon his upside, he took it on the back end because he got the equity upside of Twitter and what happened. So I'm, he did use an SPV based upon just you know, right. the beginning of how he got rich. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, right. He aligned himself with investors and saying, look, if you invest in this, that's great. I don't get anything though, unless it's successful. And mm-hmm. if it is, then I get a small piece of the upside. Right. All right. So two more questions for you, Landon. One, what's so exciting right now in the startup ecosystem? What, what trends are you seeing? What has got you excited? There's a lot that has me excited, um, but I kind of swim in different directions than most of the VCs, right? Like, so I, a lot of people are talking about Web3. There are people that are true believers that say they were going through Generation 3, blockchain will be the use case, and I believe that. Um, I'm also, you know, people talking about metaverse and the future of virtual reality and what that means. Um, I'm excited about that and also a little fearful, honestly. Not fearful of anything, just more of what it does to create a silent portion of our society that will see greater fulfillment in that world than they will in our current world. Um, I, mm-hmm. I built a, my startup was a cell phone network for kids trying to get them off of, have parents introduce an age-appropriate device. It's called Gab Wireless. And it was introducing kids to an age-appropriate device before they got too ingrained. I think the same thing will occur as we introduce virtual reality. If people don't experience this world and enjoy this world first, then what comes next if we introduce them to that virtual world that's easier to get that satisfaction, that they will have that path of least resistance always. Um, So something I'm excited about in the application, business applications of Web3, and also some things that I'm also concerned about with the metaverse and future. Um, but I'm really excited about what I'm seeing um, in the fintech world. Uh, consumer products continue to be actually really just innovative in what they're doing. Um, it's an underserved capital markets um, location, as well as um, when you talk about B2B SaaS, uh, they, there are super interesting industries that people believe have been innovative, but you know are lacking true innovation and structure. And it's just... I love finding those companies that find an industry that hasn't adopted the newest technology and creates alignment of incentives. It's something that I love I'm doing a recycling gig economy, recycling business right now, and they're crushing it because they just help governments offer recycling in areas where it wouldn't be economical and consumers want to recycle. And so they're willing to you know, pay for recycling the same way they would pay their utility. So why not? Uh, introduce that in, in a market and so right. able to do it in an asset light location. So I, I, there's so many things I'm excited about. It's kind of hard to focus on one, but um, I like, I really love the transforming archaic industries and that may sound repetitive, but there's, there's some things coming there that I think will surprise people. Love that. All right. So for my last question that I ask everybody, if there was one thing you could do to improve this world, what would you do and why? Openly, this is my attempt. Um, Assure Syndicates is my ability to empower founders, um, find those founders typically between the coasts that have built really good businesses that aren't having the right access to capital. Um, tends to be that I'm supporting more women, tends to be I'm supporting more um, younger founders or supporting founders of diverse backgrounds. And this is a change I want to see. I, I want to bring more capital to the founders that are truly building something and not just saying, hey, I've got an idea. You should give me 10 million bucks. It's more, hey, I've got an idea. It's working. 
you should give me $3 million to have it grow. Love that. All right, Landon. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, where can they contact you? Yeah. LinkedIn, Landon Ainge. I'm way too active and uh, love interacting with people on there. Amazing. Thanks so much, Landon. Really appreciate it. Thank you. See ya. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Landon Ainge. I personally learned a lot about SPVs and how they impact the startup community. If you know anyone who would be interested in reaching out to Landon or learning more about SPVs, please share with them this podcast. And if you got anything out of value out of this, please leave a podcast review, a message, a comment. Give me some love. All right. Have a great day. See ya.